Danielle Mayfield. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And this is the Prophetic Imagination Station Podcast. Where we discuss evangelical media from the 80s and 90s to understand how it impacted us and our generation. This season, we're talking about DC Talk's album, Jesus Free. Hey y'all, we are here with Grace Baldridge, who plays under the moniker Semler. Um, so excited to talk to you today. You are the first openly queer artist that made it to number one uh, in iTunes in the Christian charts, right? Is that your, I don't know if that's what you would choose as your claim to fame. It's one of them, right? I don't know if I would choose a, a claim to fame, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's pretty much the spark notes. Yeah, and so, and right now you're working on new music, is that true? Is that it's what I've been true. seeing on um, Yeah, later today I will be working on some mixing, and hopefully there'll be a new project out this spring, and I'm I'm so, so excited about it. It's been just about a year since my last um, release, so I can't wait to get back out there. Um, I love touring. And so I'm really hoping that that will happen more. And yeah, it's been a really fun year. And I really am looking forward to this year. I just have a good feeling about it. Oh, I don't want to jinx it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're we excited. I don't want to think too much, but yeah, we'll talk about it later. But I saw you play in Portland last year, last spring. Has it been that long? Um, and Probably. it was really i just it was so moving so we'll talk about that later but we're just really excited to have you on the pod today and uh, excited to talk about dc talk um (laughs) are we are we excited to talk about dc talk i am grace and i are (laughs) we needed some fresh wind because i am like here to shit talk it and also just allow myself to be as confused as I probably was as a kid listening to these songs and like trying really hard to like make them meaningful. Now I'm just like, what the fuck? I don't understand what any of this is about. <gasps> Anywho, we're so yes. happy you're here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I was going to say, you've like, you've, you've talked a lot about this music that you grew up listening to. You wrote a song called Toby Mac, which talks about DC talk. Um, and you recently went on tour with Reliant K, um, which if listeners did not know that, like you opened for them um, and like, you've just been out there talking, like reclaiming the music that you grew up listening to. Totally. I think it's not the, path that I would have anticipated for myself back when I was in the midst of it all. But I think it is the only way that I know how to process some things. And Mm -hmm. really, it's been a very beautiful journey, confusing, to be sure, for me, and I'm in it. (laughs) But uh, I've gotten to meet some incredible people and reclaiming. And I think also just taking up space is something that has been, it's uncomfortable, but it's also super meaningful. And it's reinforced to me that sometimes the things about us that we're like really ashamed of that we don't want to talk about actually can be a catalyst for creating more community and connection. Like the thing that I was the most scared of acknowledging and dealing with has really opened up a lot of love in my life and friendship and a deeper sense of faith as well. So Hmm. it's weird, but here we are. (laughs) 
I love it. Yeah. So I know that you have a specific story about the song we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we go there, what's your background with DC Talk in general? What I mean, background, they were more like bedrock. Um, yeah, DC Talk was probably my first favorite band that wasn't something from my parents. So it wasn't something of my parents' generation. It was a band that, you know, was kind of the only thing that was presented to me. So I didn't know that I wasn't given actually choice. But uh, they were like my first favorite band because they were a band that I really liked. But my parents were kind of like so-so on. Although I think, you know, I'm sure my dad was elated that they were a Christian band. Again, not that I was given a choice to discover other types of bands, <laughs> but I didn't know that. So, right. how, <laughs> so, was, so I, uh, how was it like, did you discover them like through friends or was it your parents like gave you the CD for Christmas or like? Well, so my dad was a, a, an Episcopal priest and also he was really involved in youth work and like the youth departments of whatever church we were belonging to. So he would, I guess, have some sort of a subscription box honestly ahead of their time it was a because before people were doing subscription boxes every month we would get this box from some christian media company with like posters and reading material because i also grew up in belgium so i didn't have like american christian bookstores to go to we it was in the box and it was really a very exciting time of the month to see like what cds we would get and dvds and all this stuff and this was how i understood the media landscape was through the CCM box. <laughs> and no. so um, it, sometimes my dad would be like, oh, the new Cindy Morgan CD. And I'd be like, well, no offense to Cindy Morgan. I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but I'd be like, lame. But then I would see the cover of, um, I think it was Supernatural was the first CD of DC Talks I saw. And I just was like, this looks cool. And these people look cool. And they don't look so sort of buttoned up and so this is they don't fun now so much like cindy morgan <laughs> yeah <laughs> no we can't i think she's sweet i think i don't know but i hope she's well it's not her fault i'm sure she had like very rigid parameters that she had to operate within as well as an artist <laughs> it's not her fault cindy morgan and honestly let me today i'm going to go back and listen to your music and i shouldn't have judged a cd by its cover you are correct in pointing that out and i did and that's how i found dc talk and i just i also think that their musicality when you listen to their early releases was pretty undeniable like each what type of a band where each member has such a distinct artistic perspective mm -hmm. it's pretty rare so for that to exist within a christian landscape where there's so much repression so much you know being a cookie cutter type mold i thought was really refreshing i also think that kevin max um who i've since very fortunately been able to come in contact with he always just read as like a safe person to me like there was always something because i knew that i was different i didn't have words for it quite at the time, I was still figuring out that I was gay. But there was something about Kevin Max and his solo work as well that I was like, I feel like this guy is so like, I don't know <laughs> something about him. I feel like I can be myself around Kevin Max. And I just I just really like them. So I was a very, very big DC Talk fan. Mm -hmm. Hey, I am in that same camp of like, I loved Kevin Max's solo work. Like I didn't follow anyone else. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it was it was good stuff. So the song we're going to talk about today is called Between You and Me. 
And you have a specific uh, story about this song. I do. I do. Unfortunately, I have a number of similar stories, which is that (laughs) in, think about middle school, we would have talent shows. And I was very excited to share my vocal talents with my seventh grade class, I think sixth or seventh grade. What kind of school was this? This was an international school. It was a small international school. Um, It was founded by nuns, but because it was international and Belgium is um, where the European Union is based, there was a lot of diversity and pluralism of faith and religion. So, so much to say that I was pretty much one of maybe three kids that thought that DC Talk were the biggest pop stars in the world. Everyone else (laughs) had normal media. Um, And so, so, so this was, but this was around the time when I was like piecing it together. Cause you're in middle school, you start kind of kicking the tires of your upbringing, figuring Mm -hmm. out like who your parents are, like understanding my dad's job, blah, blah, blah. So prior to this time, I thought that I knew all the same songs and like everyone, we're all on the same page here about what is music. We all know Mm -hmm. DC talk is the biggest boy band. Who are the Backstreet Boys? I don't know. Never heard of them. It's DC Who talk. are they? Who are they? Who are they? We don't know. Never heard of them. <laughs> so it was a talent show. I wanted to sing. And again, the songs that I would know to sing that I was like practicing in my room were uh, DC Talk songs. So Between You and Me. And so my dad ordered a bunch of CDs that were, you know how they had Now This Is Music for the secular world? Well, there was. I think it was like, wow, this is, wow. There was, it was called wow, wow. but they also yes. had wow karaoke. I believe if it wasn't oh. wow, it was like the same, basically they would take whatever was on wow and they would do karaoke. So my dad got a bunch of CDs of that, of the karaoke. Cause he was like, great. You're stacked for, for the rest of middle school. Anytime you need to do a talent show, here you go. Here's every song that, you know, so like, here it is. <laughs> um, so I had a karaoke thing of um of just between you and me by dc talk which i realize now is actually like pretty rare like it could be valuable i should sell it um (laughs) and i performed it for my talent show and kind of thinking in my brain like really thinking i was about to have like a celine dion moment like people were going to hear the opening The ooh, and the crowd was gonna go crazy. <laughs> like I thought they were like, "Oh my god, uh-huh. this is the best DC song." And it was it was like a real crickets performance. <laughs> and furthermore, it did kind of. It was like I felt, and I'm sure I still have friends from this time, and they're so sweet, and they love me so much, and they we've all gone through so much together. Everyone has embarrassing stories from middle school. I'm not so unique. But I do feel like that was a watershed moment for me where I basically like outed myself for being raised in a rectory, which I knew that I was, but I always was like, oh, but I'm like, I'm normal. It's not that weird. And Mm -hmm. I think like Mm -hmm. doing this performance where other kids are singing like Lincoln Park and I was like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) And then I get up there to sing, you know, first of all, it's a tricky song to sing all three parts. They overlap Mm -hmm. a lot. And it's a hard thing for one person to do, much less a 12-year-old. That's hard. (laughs) And it was just, it really exposed me 
to the rest of my classmates because the rest of the day I just they were like what what did you say like what was and I was like is this really cool bitch <laughs> what you was that if I'd been thinking ahead and this is what I would do in high school if I'd been thinking ahead I could have taken the hipster approach I mean like you don't know DC talk like they're huge like wow that's weird like they're really good band and that's what i did in high school when a christian band would come on um like i had to sit we had to submit songs for like our run out tape and basketball and they'd be like who is five iron frenzy i'm like um they're this like really indie band (laughs) you don't know them (laughs) well okay i have so many questions i did bring to mind a memory i was homeschooled so like your life seems so glamorous compared to my little isolated um, homeschool life in like Wyoming. But I did do Taekwondo and we did like, we performed a Jeff Moore in the distance song in our Taekwondo class. And everybody was like, what the hell? And I think that was a very watershed moment for me. I also realized in Taekwondo, like, I don't know how to do my hair. Like I just learned a lot about being a 12 year old, you know, socialized as female that I was like, something's weird. <laughs> like something's yeah. off. And my music is just one of those things that makes me very odd. And so I just had this memory of like, I thought Jeff more in the distance were like the shit, you know, and nobody mm-hmm. knew, nobody knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So thanks for bringing back that I mean, awful memory. See, this is to my point earlier about the things that you're maybe embarrassed about that you think make you different mm-hmm. or weird. Actually, the lesson I've been learning recently is that by sharing these parts of us, we find a lot of connection. No, we didn't all have the exact same thing, but we all kind of remember that moment. It's a little bit like figuring out that you're in national treasure of like, what? Like these, like these pieces, like they're not actually like adding up. (laughs) Yes. That's a very good analogy. Now, mm-hmm. I ha- I do have a question about the song. Did like when you were singing it? Now it makes more sense. You had this karaoke track, okay? You thought the vocals were great and interesting. It sounds like, but as far as the song goes, did you know what it was about? Because I'm quite confused. I I think growing up, I always thought it was a song about I need to confess to God my sins so that I can be, or like to Jesus, you know what I mean? And then I can be closer to God. But Christmas like, no, it's about confessing to like a friend so that you'll be closer yeah, to God. So to, that's another reason why I really liked the song was because it didn't, it wasn't overtly Christian. It wasn't mm-hmm. like saying like, praise his name, like the King of Kings. I think mm-hmm. that would have been, even in my 12 to 13 year old brain, I would have been like, that might isolate the room. Uh, so let's not <laughs> sing one of those. And I always interpret it interpreted the song to mean something about a friend coming clean to another friend about something and like clearing your conscience and how confessing and opening up to someone is hard, but that's the only path towards healing. And to me, I interpret it as a song about honesty. And sometimes it can be really hard to be honest with people and the little, especially at that age, I think you're learning about what is the the truth. And also sometimes like you tell white lies to protect people's feelings and that sort of compounds on the conscience of a kid and you're still figuring out where you, where your moral boundaries are on just social norms and things. And so that's, I think how I interpreted it to mean. but confessing to God is way more intense. So that's kind of a, hard rock uh interpretation well i i'm i'm a very intense person i'm a very intense person and in fact 
now that I am, um, it's just my personal journey, I am really researching like high controlled religions and all this stuff. And I've been delving into, uh, sort of this like cult psychology that was developed like in the fifties and sixties by looking at, you know, Maoist China. And they came up with these like eight elements of thought reform or brainwashing. And one of the main elements is creating a cult of confession. So creating an atmosphere Mm. where people divulge personal, failings right to each other because that creates these bonds of the community and you can only become pure in that community if you confess and then you can go to the throne of god so i'm coming at it from a little bit of like conspiracy theorist mind right this morning and so i'm just like is this a part of the cult of confession because that's how it played out in my life and i I don't think that happened for everybody i certainly think it could have and probably was used that way because i think that to your point about confession within very like insular puritanical Christian communities, there also is that leverage when people yes. tell you who they are and exactly. express a truth about something that might be difficult or might be counter to the social order of that group. Mm-hmm. So it definitely from, I'm sure that there's someone, maybe even someone listening that would be like, yeah, I remember this song specifically was cited as a reason to confess and that it was used to have control. But I think for me, and this is where it's like, I'm kind of an odd case because my dad is an Episcopal priest and the Episcopal tradition has been on the more progressive side of things. And they've certainly come a long way than when I was growing up. Um, But the the confession and the leverage and the control was not really something that I strongly felt or like directly experienced. It was more indirect. It was like, I didn't, I don't think that my dad thought that he was controlling me by controlling the media that was allowed into the home. I think that there was something like, this is what's quote unquote appropriate. And so kind of our journey has been more in challenging, like why were certain things inappropriate versus other, like let's, let's discuss like let's kind of you know kick the tires on that and that's been more my experience than like this very rigid control because truly like when I was able to come out to my parents they were very accepting and loving and I know I'm really fortunate in that regard but they just didn't know what they didn't know they were just really in this like this is the way that people are and it's like sometimes they're a lot of times they're not and how do you accommodate and love those people as well and fortunately for me it was like oh well we want to learn and educate ourselves and I'm so curious and I didn't see all these different things so the control element wasn't super prevalent for me but inadvertently yeah I mean when you're controlling like the music a kid's listen listening to like has access to like that is controlling I just don't think that they're like the the intent behind it was a little different Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, we have two kids, we have a 12 year old and a seven year old, and it has been fascinating. That's really been the thing that has sparked for me, my awareness of like, oh yeah, parents have so much control versus their kids. And you have mm-hmm. to be so um, aware of that and respectful of whoever doesn't have power in your life, including kids. So it's, I was raised very fundamentalist. So different from your approach and, and part of me listening to like how your parents were able just to not be like a lot of our listeners, probably backgrounds. Like, I wonder if that has also helped you be able to do some of this reclaiming work where not everybody is able to access that ability. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm still in the thick of like, <laughs> I was listening to DC Dog in the Garden Day, taking my kids to school so I could like 
be here for this conversation. And right after the song ended, um, Blessed Be Your Name came on Spotify, I guess, because they're like, you're a Christian again. Let's get this music yeah. going for <laughs> you. Back. you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and just like, like those, I was just like, ew, like, ew, like my body. And mm-hmm. I'm immediately remembering all the church services I went to where I had to sing that song because everybody else is singing it. And I had to mean it because I'm autistic. So I have to mean it if I'm singing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm forcing myself to be like, yes, every bad thing that happens, I will praise you, God. You know, I'm like transported <laughs> back to this. And now I'm just like, fuck that. Fuck you. I don't, mm-hmm. da, da, da. but I'm just like, that's, that's one way, I guess that's not really reclaiming. That's just me having an authentic response finally. But then I see the work you're doing and like, yeah, that word reclaiming just keeps coming, coming back to me. Like that's some really powerful stuff. And I wonder if you have some insight into like how that is a part of your story. Well, I think to your point, it's definitely somehow related to having access to mine things through with my parents, like the people who created the environment by which I was produced. So that has really given me a lot of power. And I think it's allowed me to consider things in a way that feels safe. It's allowed me to air certain grievances without feeling badly. Like my parents have never felt like, oh, I'm being attacked or anything. Like we've had very difficult conversations and we don't, and we'll kind of like disagree on certain point by point, but as long as our, our root, like the core foundation is like, we want to love you. Tell us how we can be doing that. Um, I think has really allowed me to it's a bit of a shield in some ways to go back into the more difficult parts of my childhood that my parents maybe weren't there for. Um, you know, for example, like going back to different youth group experiences that they dropped me off. It's not their fault. Like they weren't Mm -hmm. teaching the thing, but like being able to process this stuff with the only other people that were like there at the time, um, is, really empowering. And it, it just gives me that sort of resolve that it's okay. Like these difficult feelings are okay because there's no one in my life, um, that, and it would, it would be my parents if it were to be anyone that that is saying like, Oh, come on, like give it up, get over it. Like th- yeah. that's not happening. And yeah. so it allows me to reckon with those, those memories to reckon with those parts of myself and the consequence of that is it's so freeing for me as a songwriter, which is my mode of expression that, okay, I I can talk about this. I can air this out. You know, I can talk about my parents in, in music and uh, I'm not worried about hurting someone's feelings because it's not about, it's not about hurting someone's feelings. It's about, I think just accountability and looking at things honestly. Um, and I also have amazed, like funny, silly bonding memories with some of my best friends from youth group. All these things can be true. All of it can be true. But I think having that permission from the the people who brought me into the world, even though they're not, it's not something that at this point we talk about super frequently, but it does come up like given certain things. And certainly when Preacher's Kid came out, we had a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just allows me a sense of freedom, like freedom to just be who I am, express how I feel and not uh, omit 
parts of my story or repress parts of my story because repression for me, I associate of course with the closet and it was just the sickest and most damaging I've ever been. So anytime I sense that I, Mm. I really like, I am thinking of, I'm watching the last of us right now. Think of it as like a zombie, like coming for me. And I'm like, no, like no repression. Like I can't do it. Can I say something really quick? So this song that we're talking about, that we don't really want to talk about, right? The DC Talk saga about this like forced intimacy of confession. Like mm-hmm. I, f- I, you know, I wasn't able to go to your concert, but Crispin said like, there's just this amazing communal spirit and like catharsis and like community building in a really different way that is also has elements of vulnerability, but without the exploitation. And I just think that's so beautiful. And I yeah. wondered if you wanted to say well, anything I about think, that. Yeah. I Well, for one, I just want to like mention that, thinking about this between you and me song right and thinking about like spaces where you're expected to confess um and like you're ex- like there's this power differential of like church leaders are, like you have to be honest with us about every single piece of your life in according to like our judgment um and so i think that is just like really worth mentioning like before we move on from the song like i think this is the way that it I, at least for us growing up in evangelicalism Right. Like, yeah. um, just really, really, it's like you said, it's compulsive. It's not, it's like exploitative. It's not like, Hey, I get to like share what's going on deep inside of me. It's like, you have to tell us what's going also, on deep inside of you. Also, there's this element within evangelicalism where your thoughts are not your own, right? You'd never get to have your own thoughts. Like God mm. knows them and the community should know them. And only now, right. I'm 38 years old. I'm like, no, my thoughts are mine. Like, mm-hmm. Nobody else gets them. Like, they're mine. And so I'm unlearning a lot of this stuff myself. That was a tricky one for me as well. I don't know when that was, when, how that kind of seeped in. Because it is pretty young when you start being like, God can hear my thoughts. And then feeling so bad for every thought. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just feel, it's a really complicated thing to work through. I, I think, I think I'm getting towards where you are but it really is kind of a journey to feel like there's any sense of privacy within your own mind and that is that the concept of privacy in the first place is so important for a child to understand like privacy and consent like those are really boundaries like all that stuff and so i think that in the way that god is introduced as like this um can can be like very invasive and then i also think that because it's introduced through like a patriarchal lens that then the church leaders become surrogates for that type of Mm -hmm. um like intimacy that is not warranted but it's just sort of um decided based on power structures and i think that is like really it's a lot to put on a kid and to yeah just as you were saying it's something that you will be processing for the rest of your life and our thoughts Mm -hmm are our own <laughs> they are they really are they yeah. really are mm-hmm. yeah but yeah thinking about this song between you and me um like i think i i agree with you or like i resonate with that idea of like honesty being important or like reconciliation like i think there are some really positive themes in this song but it did also make me think about how like relationships and power dynamics in the church can be really toxic, which then reminded me of your song, Want to Grab Coffee. Um, And so for those that are listening that aren't familiar, um, you are 
uh, writing from the perspective of someone else, right? Someone who's maybe more like conservative or fundamentalist who feels like I need to take this person out to coffee to tell them the hard truth. Jesus loves you, but I don't know if he likes you. If you hung out for a day, I think he'd have some notes to go through. Like, why are you the way you are? And hypothetically, would you say the hell is near or really far? I'm just saying, stranger to sinner, I sure hope you're praying, because judgment is coming, and you'll be paying. Right? Yeah, Am I getting that right? Completely. It's something they do a lot in my songwriting. When I'm working through something that's very challenging with a person, I often try and write from their perspective to try and see if I can make heads or tails of what's occurring, maybe from how they see it. And did that this happen one was, when you wrote this song? <laughs> well, actually, the, so this song was inspired by. I'm not going to go into the details of it because I don't want to give them the airtime. But it's actually by like a conservative Christian um, YouTuber type people, and they had a video where they were talking about. I don't know why it like came up, and sometimes you know how you click on things, and you're like, why did I click on this? Like this is just going to put me in a bad mood. But somehow I did, and it was something about um, God is loving, but he's not accepting. Like, that was, like, their take. <laughs> mm, and I just thought that it was, like, or, like, Jesus, like, was loving, but he was, like, not an accepting person. <laughs> and that he was, like, actually, like, really judgmental was literally the take. And I was, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, you can't make this thing up. Like, this is so ridiculous. And, um, and it was, and it made me sad. It made me sad that like, that is your view of like an all loving omniscient creator that you've pledged not only like your life, but also like your public life, like publicly. Um, and, and then it got me to thinking about the, I've never really gone to coffee. So that's not true. I've never gone, but I've certainly received the invitation. I just have, uh, not, followed through on it and so this was me because of watching that video just imagining like how would that conversation go about you know god loves you but he doesn't like you (laughs) and you've got some notes on your behavior Mm. and that is where want to grab coffee came from Mm. yeah and what was so powerful to me um at your show was like you I just loved like you like did this, you know, kind of playing out like I'm this person, mm-hmm. right? You explained it beforehand and like you sort of like fake broke down into tears about like how hard it is to tell you this hard truth that like you're going to hell or like how hard it is. You said like, this is so hard for yeah. me to tell you that God hates you basically, right? Like That part is true. That has happened to me. Um, yeah. That it has happened. It's so frustrating. It's also, I'm a very, um, obviously I'm a songwriter. I'm very sensitive. And so I had a conversation with someone I love very dearly and we were both just crying. And it was the reason why was because she was having to tell me this awful truth. It's not true, but to her, like this awful truth. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just seeing her like crying and she was like, this is so hard. Like, you know, I've been dreading this. Like, it's so, so hard. And I just, in the moment, I was so overwhelmed with emotion. But then when you look back on it, you get, you start to process, like, 
what was it was hard for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. And that was like what I found so powerful because like could just tell the room, like within the room, everybody was just like, yes, like we have been here. Like we've, we've been, had this experience. We've uh-huh. had people tell us this is the and loving thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's reinforced, I think, by a lot of Christian communities that like by adhering to your faith in the way that we are interpreting scripture, which is homophobic and exclusionary, you are going to feel like the, a martyr. You're going to feel you're, you're the victim, you know, you, the world is just not going to understand you and you're going to have this heartbreak, um, again, based on their very rigid and I think incorrect interpretation of scripture on the six clobber passages. And so in a weird way, unfortunately, I think the fact that the person specifically who was crying and in that song, like the, when when people have gone through that, where someone is so sad to be hurting someone in this way, I think it actually reinforces the teaching that they have subscribed to, which is that you will it will be very difficult to follow Christ. Like, look at this. Isn't this so difficult? Um, and then I think also it will reinforce a very conditional love that is prescribed in those communities. Yeah. Because I think that's what made me really sad about some people. And I think this person especially is, I remember telling her, I was like, cause she was like, I love you so much. Like I love you. And I was like, if, if someone is telling you that this is what love feels like, if someone is telling you that this is how you can experience love, I'm so sad for you. And you deserve a lot better. Like this sucks for me, but I didn't just wake up and be gay today. So I'm not, nothing that you're saying is especially shocking or revelatory to me. However, what's revelatory to me is that you're kind of telling me how your community Mm. is representing love to you. And that actually makes me very worried because you deserve a, a community and people and a faith that is loving unconditionally. And it's, and that, that I think there's just a lot that I'm mulling over more on this in the new music. I mean, <laughs> more I'm, on this to come. <laughs> I'm so excited because, you know, again, looking into thought reform, brainwashing, high control religions, right. That is like the intent. The intent is to have people so disconnected from their actual body, their actual wants and desires, this desire to love people. Right. And it gets twisted into this thing where it's like, well, I have to do this in order to get God's love and the love of my community. You know, I was born into, I'm also a preacher's kid, very different from you. Um, And now, you know, this year alone, I've been like, I was indoctrinated like into a high control religion that I had no Mm -hmm. autonomy, no choice over. And I struggled so much with um, my, wants and desires, you know, coming into conflict with what I was being raised to believe, which was just basically to prime myself to follow authoritarian rule. You know, that's mm-hmm. literally what white evangelicalism is designed to do. And so like, for me, it is so sad. And I think that this album, DC Talks Jesus Freak in particular, is such an interesting look at 
brainwashing, to be perfectly honest, for susceptible youth in a high control environment who have very limited access to things. Like this song, Jesus Freak, is all about that, right? The world's going to hate you. Like nobody's going to understand you like because you're a freak for Jesus. So like setting up the us versus them, they didn't mean like freak in any cool way. Like any way I'd like to be a freak now. Can you mention just real quick? Yes, I know you you want to bring this up. there's There's this book series that went with it. And Rebecca St. James wrote one of the books oh, called Sister Oh, the Martyr Freaks. book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Rebecca St. James wrote a female version called Sister Freaks. I mean, <laughs> no, she wrote the intro, but all the, all the stories are about women, you know, whatever. It's I'm sorry. Wild. Sister Freaks. I have Freaks. to look this up. I know. Sister Freaks? <laughs> I have a copy yes. of it. I could send it to you because I don't want Sister it in my house Freaks? anymore. Yes. <laughs> Does anyone know, like, what Rebecca St. James is up to? This came up at a show recently. Because I just all I'm such a chatty Kathy on stage. Well, let's I don't all just have... let's all say right now before you look before you okay. Google. I say she is still 100 percent all in on evangelical Christianity. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Chris? I say that she's done a cruise in the last five years. She's led a she's... CCM cruise. Uh-huh, yeah, okay. She's been what on do a, you think? On a <laughs> well, I agree with you. I think she's all in. Yeah. Um, she may have relaxed the purity messaging a little bit now that she's married. Um, and I don't know if she's still making music though, but I mean, again, l- just like Cindy Morgan, we hope she's well, like I don't Do have any though? ill will. I need her to make a public apology for this martyr propaganda book that she wrote specifically for women who already are disadvantaged in the patriarchal system of Christianity, mm-hmm. telling them you must go to another country and be willing to be killed for your faith. I'm sorry. It is some batshit crazy martyrdom fantasy. And like when you grow in it up in it, right? You're like, I'm just a frog boiling in a teapot. And now that I'm like out of the, the <laughs> yeah. kettle, I'm just like, Rebecca St. James, go on an apology tour right now. Like do I mean, it. I thought that Jesus Freak the book it was probably one of my favorite books. Oh, I, like cover to cover, dog-eared. I read all of it. I had, and this is like kind of fucked up. Like I had favorite. Everyone dies in that book. It's a book of death. Yes, I had favorite stories. Me too. From that, I have a vivid <laughs> memory of a vestry of a, a dinner with a, a, some of the higher up members of the vestry with like my family, and I probably was in. You know, that's cuspy time, like 15, 16 years old, something like that. Um, Because my brother hadn't, my brother's three years older than me and he was with us at the table. So I can't have been too old. Um, And I can't remember like what the conversation turned to, but I I think I thought I was like saying something really normal, but I was like, oh, like I have dreams of my funeral all the time. And it got really quiet at the dinner. And again, like these are like, (laughs) like high up, like church board members. (laughs) I just remember my mom being like, Gracie, I didn't know that. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, I was like, oh, do we not all do that? that Is that not something that we're all thinking about? No, wow, um, I did too, but mine were very like a big deal because I was martyred for Jesus. Yeah, so I was like, it really, was like, I got it was a like, lot wow, of like, yeah. what a good person. Like, wow, mm-hmm. yeah, Joan of Arc was like my girl, you know, all these things. And you're like, again, this happened. So, DC Talks Jesus Freak came out in 1995, the book Jesus Freak came out in 1999, and it's just a fascinating look at 
white evangelicalism and publishing in general just kind of coming into this fever pitch of trying to create these radicalized youth, right, who would give anything to the cause. And we see that playing out like in politics, you know, a few decades later, just people who are like, this is my identity. The world will be against me. I will give it all. And I'm just like, man, what a wild time to be a teen, honestly, in white christian culture that has some yeah. american roots i was like that that was propaganda station man all this stuff really it really truly was and they were able to control the narrative so efficiently because again you're getting things pumped in through like ccm boxes like the internet was really in like its infancy yeah so these days i have a lot of hope for younger generations because you're able to access that if you can just get an internet connection, like you can get that pluralism of ideas and theory and you can be exposed to, you know, affirming theology um, from really not that again, it's one of those things where I'm so done proof texting my life, but I remember it was actually very helpful to listen to scholars, biblical scholars go point by point on the clobber verses. It's not something that I'm, super interested in doing with people now, but that, that access to information, I didn't have it until I was like in my twenties. And it gives me a lot of hope that kids in that are like 13 or 14 might be able to find, um, like a TikTok video just explaining like, Hey, was Leviticus thrown at you today? Well, let me help you out. (laughs) Like that's Mm -hmm. like, that's huge, huge, huge for just feeling like you're not fraudulent as a person, that there's nothing, I I still, unfortunately, and I was just talking to my mom about this because I, as a 30 something, like I need so much reassurance from my parents sometimes when I can get in my head that I think is a little bit inordinate. And it's because I do think I have this neuro pathway that was created in an early age that I always think that there's something wrong with me. Like that there is, that I was made wrong. Like I'm wrong for who I am. And that there, yeah, and it and it sucks because I I know that to not be true, but the twelve year old that is still you know so present with me is still has that feeling of like there's something wrong with me like oh no why can't I be like everyone else does everyone wish I was something different does everyone wish that I was different mm. than how I am and like I. I mean, I'm someone that really loves like lyrical analysis and even like thinking about like Reliant K or Switchfoot or whoever, there's this message of like, there's something really broken about you and you're loved anyway. Mm-hmm. That like. That seems so nice that back seems, then. Yeah. It seems like a powerful, loving message. But because that idea of like you are broken gets nestled in with you are loved. Well, it's a like, fundamental part of it. Yeah. As we now know. And so mm-hmm. I'd be curious, like if other people do this, but sometimes I'm like, I, I, I wonder what it would be like to access that, that tween, that 12 year old part of us. That's like, I, I do think something's really wrong with me and just listen to like the entire DC talk Jesus freak album with that 12 year old in mind. And it's like, you're going to find a lot of shit in there that will make you feel like I have to give every thought. I have to give every element of my life to God in order Mm -hmm. to ever be even at the tiniest bit. Okay. That's how I live my life. And I'm just like, it's such a freaking bummer. And I know it didn't impact everybody as much as it impacted me, but you know, even if it impacts a few people like that, it's worth, you know, talking about publicly and, and trying to do something better with, with our yeah. own kids. Sorry. We just got, I just got really passionate there, but I'm like, 
there's a reason like we have these messages like because we imbibe you know we imbibed them over and over and over again even though again like maybe your friend who was crying it's like we kept being told we had access to this unconditional love and it wasn't true and a part of us always knew that so we said oh then I guess something's wrong with me because I'm not experiencing it as Mm -hmm. unconditional at all it actually seems very conditional now I like being honest being like oh it was really fucking conditional (laughs) like there's the (laughs) there's the problem right there it's not me (laughs) yeah and I was thinking about like going back to the the song that you wrote um about this person that comes to you and is like I have this you know news for you and it's because I love you but it's hard and like as a therapist knowing a bit about like family systems there's this idea of like a narcissistic family system where you have like a narcissistic parent um, that's like really toxic and like maybe scapegoating someone and saying like they're the problem. Um, and then you have this, there's this term flying monkeys that came to mind as we were like talking about this, where the flying monkeys are like, you know, it's referring to the Wizard of Oz where you have the witch and you have the flying monkeys that go out and sort of do her bidding. Oh, yeah. And so it's this thing of like this happens in families where it's like this person maybe is well-meaning, but they because they're part of the system, they go and they're like, hey, like, you know, in, in dysfunctional family systems, it might be like this toxic person is like telling stories about you. And then they're like, hey, I want to help you reconcile with this person. They said that, you know, X, Y and Z. And I wanted to just like check in on you because I care about you and see if we mm-hmm. can, you know, work this out or whatever. Um, and I was like, that just fits so much with like religious communities, right? Is like the person, the flying monkey, quote unquote, is like, it's because they care about you, but they're stuck in this really shitty system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, it's this, this misplaced care. And I do think it is rooted in, because, you know, the fact of the matter is that being alive and being a person in the world and humanity is a really confusing thing. It's really confusing and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but it's really painful. And there is heartbreak that it's just baked into what it is to be a human. So I try to hold compassion while also holding boundaries with certain Mm -hmm. people who subscribe to this type of belief system because I understand that the reason why they are effectively doing like being kind of a flying monkey is because they are so entrenched in the system and they got entrenched in that system one without not by choice because they yeah. grew up in it. And the reason why they have doubled down is because at least in the case of the, the people I know kind of got a peek at the world were scared shitless. And I understand why had some rough experiences and are now like, I'm just going to stay with the I, this odd poetic way of using this, but like with the devil I know, which is this type of a yeah. world. I'm going to stay yeah. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I understand that like you're, it's, it's a lot of fear. And I'm not saying that I live a life devoid of fear. It's, I, you just have to, you know, it, the, the, there is a choice though. That That's the thing that I think sucks for me is like, it's not as though there's one Christian perspective on inclusion. It, it really isn't. That's mm-hmm. that's something that I take a lot of heart in is that people will say, um, oh, well, it's just my beliefs, my beliefs or whatever. And I'm like, what about my 
my dad's beliefs. Like you want to talk about someone who has like deeply held beliefs, like just that there's so many interpretations on the same faith. And there's a, there is, there are interpretations that bring people in that hold community and you're choosing to ignore those interpretations. And most of the time, what I find is that they've never tried to even learn about them. They've never tried to learn about affirming theology. And that's, and that's just one issue that obviously um, impacts my life, but we could go down the line of sort of like white supremacist evangelical type of teachings that people you are choosing, you are making a choice in your theology because you don't, no one's asking you to make a choice in your faith. If your faith is important to you, I, I understand that, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you are choosing an exclusionary harmful theology over any even degree of curiosity, at least in my experience. Usually it's people, I'm like, have you ever heard of a queer affirming sermon? One, just one. I've heard mm-hmm. countless anti-gay mm-hmm. sermons. Have you heard one affirming mm-hmm. sermon just mm-hmm. to see? Like, if it's so wrong, like, what are you scared of? Mm-hmm. Why are you so scared to love people that are different from you? I think, like, for me, just coming to terms with this. So, like, you're in the music world, right? And you're reclaiming some of this and you have some awesome, I don't know, can I call it public trolling? Like, I just feel like you like to <laughs> cyberbully some Christian artists who have been kind of skating by on like not making it's it not clear cyber you know? bullying. i'm sorry that's my term it's not. not yours i would it's say it's that. cyber it's cyber fun it's cyber fun. fun listen i love cyber bullying so i do that all the time with like me and me and sean foyt like have this like huge no beef, okay and is that yes. the guy with the curly hair yeah long um I'm obsessed yeah. with like researching the Jesus movement and actually how like really bad it is. And that's a whole nother conversation that we can maybe have at another time. But I'm like, I see you doing that. I was in Christian publishing for forever. And and I think there's this unique tension that comes from being like, there's good hearted people trapped in these systems that were designed to perpetuate this self-sustaining closed model, right? Where you only listen to Christian music. You only listen to these white pastors. So yeah, you never do get access to these outsider perspectives. Mm-hmm. And like, here you are just like elbows flying, you know, being like, I'm going to go to the, I want to go to the devil wars. Like, I just think it's so cool. And we need all different sorts of tactics and responses to this, to just loving people who are totally trapped in this closed circuit system, you know? And so I just think what you're doing is awesome. And I just, I love the creativity. I love that you're having fun. Um, I'm not really like a shows person, but Crispin freaking loved it. And so I'm just like, just thank you for doing what you do and oh, thank um, you. just for having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes, uh, you know, you, humor is such a coping mechanism. It absolutely is. And like the funniest people I know, especially from what in and out of Christian spaces are people who have like some of the more like harrowing experiences. <laughs> drama. And it's all drama. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really, it really is. And I think like, there are things like that that remind me of like the, the beauty of the world, like the resilience of the human spirit. And that is something that really encourages me that I take a lot of hope and heart in moving forward that 
you know, a lot of this shit will get you down and it sucks and it's really sad. But moreover, I have laughed more since dealing with this head on, you know, Mm. since kind of confronting Mm. all of this, there is so much, there is just a lot of love just out there waiting for you. Like real love is out there. I, I think that sometimes I would just feel so weird and lonely and that this experience was so unique that, you know, it would be impossible to forge any sort of meaningful bonds, but the opposite is really true. It just, it, that those first steps are really into the unknown. It's really scary, but wherever you land, I'm never going to, you know, prescribe anything for anybody about where they go on their journey, spiritual or not. Just know that there is a lot of love when you invest in yourself, because Mm. I think that, I think that we're valuable everything, I think every person is valuable and has value, but it's a matter of like really like looking inward and and finding that and believing that. And it's hard because you're going to have to go against a lot of the early neuro pathways that may have, may or may not have been created for you against your will without autonomy as a child. But there's, there's just a lot of like funny, weird, joyous, exuberant, loud moments on the other side. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Mm. Mm. I might've picked a different song for the talent show, to be honest. I think I would change Yeah. And I like, again, I just, I, I've said it multiple times, but like being at your show is so powerful uh, because you just had this sense of like creating a space for people that you're talking about veggie tales. Everybody was like right on track and like showing up in this space to say like, yeah, this has been really hard for, I felt like I was like, I'm a straight man. Uh, <laughs> I'm like in a room full of lesbians. I don't want to take up space here. Like y'all like process things but it was so (laughs) yeah but it was just so beautiful and so moving and like brought me to tears just to see the space that you had created um and continue to create um just what you just said right like with jokes and like there's this like being able to to own like this is I don't know if own's the right word but like recognize like this is what we've been through this is where we've come from Mm. And there's still room for connection and love and um, dancing and, um, you know, celebration. So if y'all are listening and Summer is coming through on tour, do not miss it. Um, Yeah, it's just been really, it was really amazing for me. And I know that that's what you, you know, creating the space, doing this music is what you're creating for folks. So Thank you. I love performing live. It's been a true joy the past two years i hadn't really done live shows before that and now i get to play with a full band and that has been like so much fun when we're able to do it i love playing with my band and i think we like just put on a hell of a show it's just so much fun like the energy that's this wonderful release also does reinforce that you probably weren't feeling the Holy Spirit. You probably were just experiencing live music. (laughs) (laughs) It's some great, you know, core progressions, like the communal energy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's scientific, like lean into the sonics of how we process um, sound waves. Like we, if if a band is doing what they're meant to be doing, like you should, you know, be feeling something out of body. Isn't that amazing that you can control that? It's not like God coming like in on the keys. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> no, I think all the Hillsong people really have a, a direct connection to God. And so I think that's <laughs> what's happening. 
there. Um, anywho. Yeah. Uh, Instead of closing up, like, let's just talk about the Asbury revival. No! <laughs> it's like a, you know, like the movie Space Jam, except it's just angels inhabiting the body of Hillsong performers, like whenever they play. <laughs> Oh my, oh my gosh yeah well thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us about dc talk um it's been just really great i uh, really appreciate your insight and just taking some time to reminisce yeah. a little bit about middle school <laughs> thank you so much for having me this has really been a great treat i never get asked to talk about these mortifying memories between enough, you so. and me you've never yeah. been asked to like come on <laughs> and talk about that for an hour that's this wild is, to me hasn't I can't come up it. so it's it's really been a true pleasure <laughs> <laughs> this has been an episode of the prophetic imagination station podcast become a patreon supporter for as little as a dollar 50 a month and join our community with extra episodes and a facebook group to talk about Jesus Freak, religious trauma, and growing up evangelical. You can find us online at propheticimaginationstation.com as well as Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening.